Hi, Marked listeners. We're planning some exciting things for the future of the podcast, so we want to hear from you. Take our fun survey and give us all of your opinions about Marked to enter for a chance to win a Lifeway Women backpack filled with Bible studies and other great resources for diving into God's Word. To take the survey, go to lifewaywomen.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. We can't wait to hear from you. This is the Marked Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Mary Margaret West and Elizabeth Heineman. Each episode, we'll talk about what God's doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you joined us today. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Marked Podcast. We're so glad y'all are back with us. Hello, everyone. And, um, and Elizabeth and I always laugh right as we get to that little intro part because like she's always like, I know I'm supposed to say something, but then I kind of forget. Yeah. And so I never know what to say. So I just need to I need to get a catchphrase. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. so we're working just working, we're working that. on that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> anyway, as we get on to today's guest, um, um, we're really excited to welcome Emily Chapman Richards to the podcast. And she's going to introduce herself in just a second. But um, but we were really excited to have her just mm-hmm. because she's here in the Nashville area. Right. Um, and just God's using her in some really unique unique ways. And so Emily, welcome to the Mark podcast. Oh, thank you guys. I'm so uh, glad to join y'all for this conversation. Yeah, we're really excited that you are here with us and um, and just that we can chat about stuff that I think every single one of us has either been involved in, mm-hmm. has had questions mm-hmm. about. Um, you know, we're going to talk about just kind of a variety of topics today, but would you um, would you kind of introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about who you are, kind of about your background, what you're doing now, your family, that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Well, again, honored to be with you guys. Thank you for sharing uh, some of your precious moments with (laughs) me. Um, And for all of you that are tuning in, it's an honor to just um, share this conversation with you guys. So a little bit about myself. Um, I am, yeah, born and raised in the Franklin, Nashville area. I'm the oldest daughter of Mary Beth and Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, Some of you guys may be familiar with my dad's music. So Mm -hmm. grew up with a dad who traveled quite quite extensively for um, his career in sharing the gospel through music. Um, And uh, my mom is a rock star and uh, proud to be their their eldest. I've got um, five younger siblings. So I have two brothers, um, two biological brothers, and then three sisters that joined our family through adoption from China. Um, and so we can dive more into that story in, in a little bit. But that's kind of my family of origin. Uh, graduated from high school in 04 and then uh, went to Baylor University, which is where I did my undergrad, uh, studied international relations and minored in religion and really, really had a blast um, in in Waco. It, this was Waco pre-Chip and Joanna game. <laughs> Pre-Magnolia. So just, yeah. yeah, let's just go go ahead and set the stage. This right. was not Fixer Upper Waco. Yeah. So we, um, you know, we had a lot of fun, like, throwing tortillas into the river and yes, that was kind of like I've the done, extent. yes yep. I've done that too it's so fun yeah yeah yep. tortilla throwing uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. that was the Waco of yesteryear yes. so um I was in I was in Waco in the early 2000s and then um graduated moved back 
home, met and married another Franklin native, Tanner Richards. Um, we met on a blind date at the Starbucks mm. in Cool Springs, which <laughs> apparently is called the Christian Starbucks, which I did not know. But there apparently you go. I could see that. So, yep. hey, you know, magical things happen there. So just watch <laughs> out if you end up at the Cool Springs Boulevard Um you know, Starbucks, yeah. you just better, you better watch, better watch who walks in the door. That's the truth. Anyways. So we met, we met and married in 2008. Well, met in 2007, married in 2008 and then moved to Ireland for three years where mm. I did graduate school. I got my master's in theology from Queens university in Belfast, Northern Ireland. So we were there. Our oldest daughter, Eileen was born in, in Belfast in 2011 and then we moved back here to to Nashville, and since then have had two more little girls. So I've got three girls. Eileen is seven, Della is five, and Verity is three. Mm. And uh, Tanner and I have been married almost 11 years, which wow. is nuts, nuts. And now I'm serving as the executive director at Show Hope, which I've kind of all along, you know, my mom and dad, <clears throat> they started Show Hope when I was in high school. So 2003 is when we were incorporated, so my junior year. Um, and so I've always been around and watched the vision grow. It was my first job right out of college, um, and continue to stay involved even when we were off in Ireland. And, um, I've kind of served in all the different departments and sort of worn many, many hats. And, um, in December was asked to serve as the next executive director of, of show hope. So, so here I am. <laughs> wow. I love it. I and, love yeah. it. Do you, and do you mind me asking how old you are? I'm 33. 33. No, not at all. Okay. Yep. Awesome. My Jesus year better be a good yeah. one. <laughs> hey, my, like, my, my Jesus year was the year I got married. It was a good one for me. So yeah, see, there you go. Know. I'm like, my, my kids looked at me when I turned 33 and I'm like, well, the Jesus year. They're like, what? What, what does that mean, mom? And I was like, I just, I don't know. Big things, yeah. big things happen. And, I, you know, right before I turned 33 is when the leadership appointment to the executive director role happened. And it's been you know, I tell people I'm not even drinking from a fire hose anymore. I'm just standing in front of it and hoping <laughs> something, you know, I'm like, something absorb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot. I but can't imagine. A beautiful a lot, but a lot. That's yes. awesome. Yep. Well, you mentioned that you grew up in a family that was in the spotlight with your dad in the music industry, but your family yep. has seemed like from the outside, at least, it seems very grounded. And mm-hmm. so we wondered, like, what kind of things did your parents do or um, that y'all did as a family that to help you stay grounded in your faith and in your walk with Christ and just as a family unit as well? Mm, That's a great question. Thanks for that question. Um, Yeah, so we grew up, what's interesting, and you guys might be able to identify with this just being in Nashville and kind Mm -hmm. of part of this community. We grew up part of and went to a small Christian school here in the Nashville area, and there were some were other families that were part that were either parents that were in the Christian music industry or relatively well known. And mm-hmm. so when we were younger, um, it didn't seem completely like abnormal or out of place. Yeah, um, and right. so I think that my parents, we just that, and I don't even know that that was an intentional effort on their part, just sort of the Nashville code in a sense. Mm-hmm. There seems mm-hmm. to be kind of just a an, an appreciation for you know, families that are in the spotlight, but also just trying to do family life here in Nashville. And so that didn't seem particularly like uh, overbearing as a young child. When I started, you know, when I grew up and into middle school, high school, and then certainly going away to Christian university, and it became more of what others could quickly identify Mm -hmm. me with, and then having to kind of walk through that, I think that became more, um, I wouldn't even call it a struggle, just more of the conversation. I think to your question, what my parents did to help 
keep us grounded. Um, they, uh, <laughs> in fact, my brothers and I love to talk about this. They just never have acted like they have it all together. And yeah. I think that they've done that, um, respectfully in the public eye and that they are the same people they are at home that they are in public. And, um, my mom's been very open with her, you know, just how difficult it has been to have a husband who's traveled and, um, even her, uh, battle with depression that she writes about in her book. And Mm -hmm. that's always, she's always been very open with us. Even at a young age, we knew that was part of her story. And so my parents really set a framework for us in our home of, um, like appropriate vulnerability and really needing Christ to be like what grounded us and knowing like ultimately, um, we have to believe that God is in control and that he loves us. And those two things, have sort of just continued to be like the current of the story and faith that my parents have given us from a young age. Mm -hmm. And I think it really, not only has it grounded us just in in, in daily life, but certainly been a bedrock for us through really hard times as well that have kind of, you know, where our faith has been tested, we've landed. And I think on our faith. And that's partly because from a very early age before even hard things, really hard things had happened, we sort of had this, uh, life is hard and it's crazy and dad's going a million miles a minute and mom's running us all around town and we're trying to kind of connect when we can and take every little minute captive. I mean, my parents really did do a great job at um, now that I'm a mom looking back going, I feel like I have to create like this whole beautiful evening for it to count as like a good family night. And mm-hmm. my parents were certainly did those really great, you know, evenings and planning, mm-hmm. but they also really just took captive. Like we've got 30 minutes ice cream, you know, yeah. like, what, just connect in those little moments of time because you never know. And those are the things that come back and are recalled to my memory. You yeah. know, now when I look back at what was, a busy childhood, although I didn't necessarily know that as a kid Mm -hmm. and now can see as a mom, like, wow, you guys were being pulled in a lot of different directions that they just were very intentional with even these tiny little moments. And, um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I just, I really, I, I do credit them for, for fighting for those moments. That's so good. And, and that's something we've talked about that kind Mm -hmm. of thing on the podcast a good bit. And even recently, I feel like we've had a good number of moms on here say very similar things on like just trying to capture the everyday stuff and not Mm -hmm. look at what everybody else is doing, but just go, what can we do as a family together? Mm -hmm. And I think that those things, when I look back at my family experience, those have been the things that have really stuck around and have made a difference, have, you know, helped us to have conversation and want to know what's going on. We're probably Mm -hmm. a little too nosy in each other's lives now, (laughs) you know, but like, but I think those things are just good foundational principles for every single one of us. And so that's, that's so good. And, um, you know, and you've obviously mentioned show hope and that's what Mm -hmm. you are now leading. And can Mm -hmm. you just kind of tell us a little bit of the background of show hope, kind of what it exists to do and, um, you know, what, what y'all currently do now? Yeah. So show hope was really a, a dream that was planted in my parents' heart out of an experience. And so, uh, mom and I, when I was 11 in 1997, we had the opportunity to travel with Compassion International to Haiti. And uh, on that trip met a lot of children that, um, were living outside of parental care, you know, whether their parents, um, couldn't take care of them or their parents had passed. Um, and we met those children and I was not much older. And so I kind of came home really wrestling from that trip, wondering like, okay, what does God have for us? 
in responding to caring well for children that have been orphaned and um, that are vulnerable and marginalized. What do we do? You know, what do I do as a believer with that? And um, so that really sent our family on a trajectory. Um, and that's a whole another sordid tale. But really, I campaigned quite um, passionately for my parents to consider um, adopting. Mm. And that was a couple year uh, prayer battle. And, um, <laughs> and, and eventually by God's, uh, cause God knew what he was up to in the middle of all that. Um, my parents, uh, their hearts were open to the idea of adoption. And so the trip to Haiti was 97 in 2000, we traveled and adopted Shoei from China. Um, and that experience and coming home from that experience. And we had the, we had the privilege of touring Shoei's orphanage, which not, that's not common. Not a lot of Westerners do get to see, um, the social welfare institutes in China. And we had the opportunity to visit hers. And there were many, many children, um, that we became friends with in the, in the, that visit in those moments, um, that we, that we carried those stories with us as we returned to America. And when we got off the plane, before we even got to our car with Shoei, you know, having brought her home from China, we already had a handful of families that had approached my parents and said, you know what, we'd be willing to adopt. We would love to adopt. We have room in our heart and our home and in our minivan, but we just don't have the money in our bank account and it's expensive. And, um, and the, and it's, it's increasing in, in expense. It's, you know, anywhere from 40 to, it can be, it can be 40 to $60,000 in our country. Adoption is expensive. Domestic adoption is expensive. And we just as a family felt really convicted, compelled, impassioned to not have money be what stands in the way between families and children that need families. And so we started, that's really where the dream for Show Hope was planted. And my parents' heart was to give financial aid to um, Christian families that are pursuing adoption. And so Show Hope was started in 2003 to give adoption aid grants. And um, to date, we've been able to help over 6,200 children come home from mm, over 60 wow. countries, which is crazy. That's yeah. Crazy. We've, yeah. I mean, we've awarded $24 million in adoption assistance. Gosh. Thanks many people that have faithfully given. And, mm. um, we thought, you know, I can remember the, the dinner table conversations when mom and dad uh, kind of finally, they weren't looking to start a nonprofit. Yeah. I mean, clearly they had lots going on uh-huh. and, uh, that was not something that was kind of on the, the bucket list, if you will, like, oh, hey, I think we'll do this. Um, in fact, they met with uh, Gary Haugen uh, at IJM, mm-hmm. International Justice Mission, and he really encouraged them, you know, find an organization that's doing what you feel passionate about and put your platform and, you know, your your energy behind that organization. But if there's not one doing it, then the work that, you know, God has uniquely called you to, that might mean that it's you, it's you, yeah. you're the ones that are called to, to plow this field, you know, yeah. and, and labor in this field. And there wasn't an organization at the time, um, that was specifically, you know, set up to give adoption aid to, uh, Christian families that were pursuing adoption. And so that's where show hope started. And yeah. we continue to this day to give adoption aid grants. Um, and it's, I was able, before I became executive director, I served on the grant committee team and was for four years reviewed applications of families that were requesting assistance from show hope and just amazing families, Mm -hmm. um, that are really stepping into putting it all on the line to selflessly love, uh, children, their children, they have the children they're pursuing through adoption. Um, it's just a beautiful, it's beautiful thing. Um, as we continue to do adoption aid, um, grants, we realize that not every child 
will be able to come home through adoption that's been orphaned. And so we specifically have a heart for China because it's where half of our family is from. Mm -hmm. And so we um, began to provide care for medically fragile orphans in China. And we have about 200 kids um, at any given time that are being cared for through Show Hope Care Centers. Um, and that that work started in about 2006, seven. Our first um, building was built in 2009, Maria's Big House of Hope, named after my sister that, that passed away in 2008. So you know, we continue to this day to care for um, medically vulnerable orphans in China. We have that. So, the, so that's kind of our. We have adoption aid care centers pre and post. So we realize we can't encourage families on the adoption journey and throw them into the deep end without a life preserver. Yeah. You know, and say hey, and really that's just parenting in general. Just it's a it's a journey, and right. when you're gonna selflessly love another person, um, a the enemy's gonna be ticked. And he's going to come after that. Mm -hmm. And um, B, we realized that our children that have been impacted by early childhood trauma, neglect, abuse, they um, their brains have been impacted. And we know that. And we need to prepare parents for what a journey of loving a child who's come home through adoption can look like. Uh, and so our pre and post adoption efforts are specifically designed to help inform parents before they adopt and placement and then support families after um, placement in the adoption journey so that we, um, you know, are advocating for adoption, but adoption done well. Uh, we do that by hosting an annual conference called the Empowered to Connect Conference. We train professionals, um, counselors, psychologists, educators, pastors um, in trust-based relational intervention in conjunction with the Institute of Child Development at um, TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot going on there. And then kind of to bring it full circle, our fourth program is student initiatives, because we really believe here at Show Hope that there's nothing more powerful uh, than a student who is leaning in and, and listening to God's voice and, and really pursuing what God is putting on their heart. Um, yeah. Because, you know, our students, in, in a sense, our students take God at his word, <laughs> which is, isn't right. that the challenge for us all? <laughs> like, yes, trust me, trust me. Uh -huh. and, and for some reason, when we're younger, it's just a little easier to do. And mm -hmm. so um, we really, we've designed something called the pause campaign here at Show Hope. It's a week long devotional that um, is designed to be used like in a youth group setting or college, you know, Bible study setting, Girl Scout group, just kind of a small group setting um, that walks you through God's heart for caring for children who've been orphaned. Why does it matter? What, what's the, you know, what are the statistics? What's the problem? Um, what can you do to help? And while you do that week long kind of devotional material, we ask that you pause from social media or whatever kind of media you're consuming and lean into the relationships and the presence of those that love you that are around you, friends, family, because a lot of these kids that have been orphaned don't necessarily have um, those relationships. And so, you know, we kind of are trying to challenge students to lean into that while they also dig deeper devotionally and educationally to learning more about um, how to care well for kids that have been orphaned. And so we, what we hope we do with that is that we empower and educate students so that they really are aware and, and, and go into career decisions, building family, yeah. or just are aware and passionate to care well for kids that have been orphaned. That's so That's good. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I love how y'all care for the whole life of the child. Yeah. Um, that's something that 
I, I have my master's in counseling from mm-hmm. seminary. And okay. one of the things I, I wrote a paper on adoption and like problems with it, not problems, but issues that come up with adoption. And one of my professors was like, oh, is this like a do you think adoptive parents need counseling for this? And I was like, yes. And so he was like, well, what all would that go into? Like, and I was just like so many things. And so I love that y'all offer that for not just like the parents, but also like you said, the pastors and the um, professional counselors and all of that. And I know one of my friends actually has been to the empowered to connect conference and just Mm -hmm. comes away every time with just saying like how important it is for their family and how much they love learning from that. And so, um, I'm just thankful for the work that y'all are doing there yeah. too. And I just, I keep thinking of the faces of some of my friends' kids who have mm-hmm. been brought home yeah. as a result of a Show Hope grant being a big part mm. of, of that. And it's just the stories that come out of that, of just, mm. you know, faithful obedience to the Lord, whatever mm-hmm. that next step is. And for some of you, you know, that is, um, you know, it's it, maybe it's not starting your own ministry, but it's doing something right. in your home, and it's right. it's taking whatever next step the Lord is calling you to do, and mm-hmm. not looking at what everybody else is doing because that's when it's easy to to lose sight of the big right. picture. But yeah. um, but two, just yeah. to look around and see like how how can I be a part of the solution? And right. um, mm-hmm. you know, and Emily, you are you know thirty three. You're a young leader, yep. um, and I love that just about mm-hmm. that God has raised you up in this position um, at this time um, to serve in this way to lead out and um, at Show Hope and. So like, how are you continuing? Like you said, you're standing in front of the fire hydrant, um, you know, taking all of this in, you know, who are you learning from? Or like, what, what other advice would you give to some other young women that God is raising up to lead? Mm. But um, if you guys have the answer, let me know. No. <laughs> um, I think a, a spirit of humility, in, in the spirit of humility, um, I have some, I do have a, a, some amazing friends that are women that are in a similar position, um, not the same field, not the nonprofit sector, mm-hmm. um, in corporate world and, in um, like, uh, one that's her background is law. And, um, they are in a similar position of mothering kind of in the trenches, young mothers, um, young leaders, and we meet on a monthly basis mm-hmm. and we're all believers. And, um, sometimes we can't even be physically present if we can't, you know, somebody, one of us is going to miss the meeting. Um, we're in email dialogue with each other and just nothing long, nothing huge, nothing you've got to prepare for, but just to know that you've got a, you've got a group of women that are, that can understand to some degree your position in life, yeah. right. And the stressors you're carrying and just, can say, Hey, I'm praying for you. Or what do you need? What prayer, what specifically do you need prayer for? Um, I will say when I felt like God was moving me more into a position of leadership and I've all, I mean, I have always, it's been my dream to be a part of show hope since show hope began. Right. And so it's this, I mean, I'm, I have my dream job. I am loving what I get to do. Um, I believe, I mean, my background formally, my training is in theology. I believe so profoundly in the, in, in just what God has for children and family and attachment and just that, that sense of belonging that is stamped deep in, in our hearts as yeah. image bearers of a God who, although we'll never quite understand the Trinity, what we do know is that God has chosen to, to, indwell in relationship within himself. And so there's something to when our kiddos come to this world and when it is ravaged by sin and our little ones don't through, through whatever, for whatever reason, can't be with their family of origin and experience that attachment and belonging. 
as believer, as a believer, I believe we have to do everything that we possibly can in ethical and timely manner to, to help secure attachment and belonging for these little ones and, Mm. and through family. And so Mm. I feel very, very much so impassioned by my faith to do what I'm doing. Um, and so I think that that grounds you on those hard days, right? When you're going, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? And we're yeah. feeding hot dogs for the fourth night in a row because we just can't, I have not gotten <laughs> to the grocery store and there's no kale in my house. You know, like yeah. I'm like, going, oh, what am I doing? And you know, all the, the enemy gets in the funniest little crevices in your mm-hmm. mind and you're going, Oh no, I think I'm missing it. Um, when I did feel like God was leading me into a position of leadership at show hope, I did. I don't hear like super audibly or clearly from God, like all the time, <laughs> you know, it's I'm one of those going, if you do, you know, reach out to me because I need a direct line. No. Um, <laughs> but I do feel like God impressed on my heart that I am calling you into a position of leadership to, to become more a woman of prayer. And um, what's ironic about that is I often say in this kind of setting or an interview talking about show hope, what God did in my heart and in my prayer life as an 11 year old, when I was convinced after I returned home from Haiti, that God had something in our, for our family in adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very, very, uh, prayerful and like intensely. So, and I often say, I wish I could go back to my 11 year old prayer life. You know, like, Mm -hmm. can I get back there? Because it just felt pure and it felt very reliant on, um, God's faithfulness to provide what I needed or what he knew he wanted to do in the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so it was kind of a full circle moment for me because I've often, often thought about, man, if I could, if I could just be that passionate or like, like trusting in prayer, you know, I mean, like, because it's, I've experienced hard things and I have prayed prayers that really important and like, God help me prayers that don't feel like they've been answered or I don't see, it doesn't look as if they've been answered to me. Um, and so to walk into a position of leadership and to feel impressed on my heart, I've called you here to become more a woman of prayer. And what that, like, I don't want you to get an image, especially those of you listening, like, I don't have this like beautiful serene chair that I sit in every morning. (laughs) Like I'm talking these moments of like, doing laundry and saying, thank you, God, for my three children and what you're showing them, showing me about you through them. Yeah. I mean, it's, little, again, it goes back to kind of what you said earlier about sort of a theme you're hearing from women on taking little moments captive in connecting or building relationship with friends or spouses or children. Um, it's a, I think it's similar in our prayer life. It's taking yeah. little moments captive. God, I'm about to go into this meeting and I need clarity. I don't know which, I don't know which end, where do, where do I land on this decision? Mm -hmm. I need it to be clear. And then you're listening. Um, you're, you're listening. There's this old, I studied this in, um, when I was doing my master's in theology and actually Elizabeth in your counseling background, this might've come up, but this sort of old pastoral care model that was sort of practiced in the mon like monasteries and, um, with like forefathers of our faith of cura narum, like the care of souls. And what oh, that yeah. is, you know, this listening, as we're listening to someone, and I do that as a leader, when I'm listening in a meeting and we're trying to come to a resolution, I'm purposefully and intentionally also trying to listen to the spirit. And and I believe the spirit's 
within us as believers. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, and not like, not like to a, oh, well, the spirit told me this. So like, we just have to make, you know, not right. like as a power play, mm-hmm. but just a like leaning that prayerful, like, um, it's like a prayerful, just presence mm-hmm. and, and like posture, I guess that's the better word. It's a prayerful prayerful posture in a meeting to be looking for how God is moving and where is there peace in this conversation or where is there resolution and leaning into that. And so um, I think that that is probably, if I had to say something to other young leaders, it's just that being aware, kind of being able to still your soul a little bit because we live in such a frenetic paced society. Everything's like coming Mm -hmm. at us and information's coming at us, and we can be distracted all the time if we want to be with these little devices in our hands, but to just still our minds, still our hearts, and listen to that kind of, um, that presence of peace that is is in our hearts through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. uh, I think is the the way. I love that. Yeah, and that's something that I think we have, we did talk about in pastoral counseling, just the, um, the level of you're constantly listening for, and like you said, it's just more of a posture, just kind of like mm-hmm. you're at, you're ready to see yep. what God will lead you to see or to hear what God will lead you to hear. And so, um, one thing that we, and Mary Margaret touched on this a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. but we wanted to ask you, there are some women who are listening that are called to adopt kids, um, maybe from overseas, maybe they want to adopt domestically. But then there's also a lot of women who probably don't feel that specific calling on their lives or maybe can't adopt at this time for a variety of reasons. So what can those women do right now to help with orphan care and adoption? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I I love this question because (laughs) I always thought, in fact, my mom's first response to me as an 11 year old, when I was like, I think God's calling us to adopt. She said, I think maybe he's calling you to adopt someday, <laughs> not us. And as the, as time would play out, God has it at this point in my life, I've become a mom three times over biologically and don't mm-hmm. at this point, don't foresee adoption being on the horizon because our plates are very full, but I know never to say never. Right. And so for me, it feels like it's a, it's, it's a personally, um, it's a fun question to answer because I feel like I'm in a similar boat. Um, mm-hmm. I see my involvement through leadership here at Show Hope. But what I would say is, um, first and foremost, if you have friends in your community that are adopting, just being present and being a listening ear and just showing up. If it's a it's a meal on a weekend or if it's a, hey, let me watch your kids so you and your hubs can go grab a cup of coffee. Like just something that just mm-hmm. shows shows your friends that are in the trenches of the adoption journey um, that you're aware and showing up. That is huge. I mean, yeah. it's Matt, it's so it's that you can't even really put words around how important it is, the kind of the ministry of presence, if you will. And then mm-hmm. um, there's very practical and tangible ways to get involved. If you visit the Show Hope website, um, we have we always have a list of uh, much needed supplies for our care centers in China because we care for children with um, pretty acute medical needs. There's some really specific splinting and casting materials. And I mean, we need Destin all the time because there's lots of cute little booties <laughs> we got to take care of. Yep. And um, 
And so there's really practical ways to do like supply drives. Like if you're part of a, of a book club or, or a group or your preschool is looking for like a ministry to, to do a supply drive for, we always have need for supplies. Um, there's ways uh, I know personally here in, in Nashville, the Davidson County, um, the DCS every year around Christmas and graduation are looking for people to donate gift cards as Christmas gifts and graduation gifts for those that are in foster care. Um, and so there's really creative ways that you can get involved to help care for children that um, have been orphaned or are not currently living with um, biological mom and dad that really can have a deep and profound impact. Mm. I love that. That's good. And just everybody can do something like that's the thing is that, you know, when we look at the needs and we look and see what scripture has to say, we're all called to Mm -hmm. take some sort of action to meet the needs of those who can't um, help themselves. Right. And so um, whatever that is, there's a ton of different resources. And Mm -hmm. for every single one of you, that's going to look different in your area. And then there are ministries like Show Hope that are national ministries where you can be involved from wherever you are um, as a part of being that solution. And so we hope that you're doing something through your Mm -hmm. church, through a local ministry, through your, you know, local children services like you mentioned yeah, um, those okay. are great needs and I've been I've gotten to go deliver some of those gifts oh, before so and it's just such a sweet thing to see um, how that ministers to those foster families and mm-hmm. those kids and yep. just the impact that it makes and so um, just do something as a yeah. result of this and mm-hmm. so you know Emily as we wrap up we've talked about just a lot of really good stuff today um, mm-hmm. you know and a lot of you shared a good bit of your story too as mm-hmm. we've chatted but what um, as we're wrapping up like what has marked you mm. What has marked me? Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I think we're, so I've been thinking about this a lot since you, <laughs> um, you guys, I, I saw that this question was coming and I'm like, God, which way do I want to go? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go this way. Um, what has marked me? And to, for those that are familiar with my family's story, um, we experienced a pretty, a pretty crazy tragedy about 11 years ago, my youngest sister passed away as a result of an accident, um, at our home. And, uh, through that, I mean, I've been a believer in my, my whole life. Um, but as you can imagine, that really kind of rocked my faith and just, mm-hmm. you know, what you do with grief and it continues. There's so many, it, you're never through it. It right. just expresses itself differently. Oh, and you just put one foot in front of the other and continue to journey toward home. And I think that um, something that has marked me is the passage in Scripture where um, Jesus is aware that Lazarus is sick and is going to pass. And um, when he when he comes back, <clears throat> Mary meets him and is so, like, f- frustrated, right? Like, there's a permission yeah. mm-hmm. there to be like, if you would have been here, the right. story would have ended differently. And she's like, you can, when you read in the scripture, I think what has marked me is like the humanity and the vulnerability in that moment. Mm-hmm. And like the permission from Christ for her to be like, I am so frustrated. Mm-hmm. And yet you're safe enough for me to be this frustrated. Like there's, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to pretend, I'm not going to explain it. I don't know what all is happening, but I resonate with that. And then that's the moment in scripture where we see Jesus weeping before. And he, I I mean, he knows he's God. He knows Mm -hmm. what's about to happen. And yet the, the emotion of what we have to carry in our human experience made for the garden, living in the not yet, um, 
that we have to absorb and figure out and yet still lean in and trust Jesus in that and his um, tears in that moment, his weeping, his sadness in that moment, to engaging in that with Mary, and then, of course, going on to raise Lazarus from the dead. I just, I'm marked by that passage, and mm-hmm. I'm marked by the the space within Jesus to feel it all and to land on a bedrock of faith that, you know what, indeed, he is he is good and he is love and he is making all things new. And how do I participate to whatever degree he's called me to in that narrative, this side of the veil? That's so good. Yes. Amen to that. Yes. I totally agree. And um, thank you so much just for your time today and just for sharing some of your story um, and just I think giving us some good calls to action that we right. can all um, do something and we can all be a part of what God is doing. And so just Elizabeth and I have been making a list of links and things that we will make yeah. sure are um, on our show notes page. Um, and so make sure that you check that out. Even if you're listening to the podcast app, you can hop over to lifewaywoman.com forward slash podcast and <laughs> you'll be able to find all the notes from today's episode. But Emily, thank you again for being a part of the conversation today. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you guys. Absolutely. Well, this has been another episode of the Mark Podcast and we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Mary Margaret C and at ED Heineman. Use the hashtag marked podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at lifewaywomen.com forward slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the show. We'll see you next time. Home should be a place where we feel at peace, where we can be ourselves, where we feel loved. For a lot of us, though, home is a place of heartache, hurt, and loneliness. As believers, Christ promises us an eternal home. But what does that actually look like? And how do we deal with our current homesickness? I recently wrote a Bible study called Come Home for Women, and I'm so excited that Come Home will also be available for teen girls. It's perfect for small groups, helps girls answer important questions, and gives us a richer understanding of what kind of home God's building for us. The release date for Come Home for teen girls is August 1st, but you can pre-order it now at lifeway.com slash come home. Don't miss out on this opportunity to help girls belong and be loved. Again, you can pre-order it today at lifeway.com slash come home.